next couple Wednesdays, uh, we will be um, uh, having a Christmas-themed type message. So uh, the message tonight will be out of Luke, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. So as a public service, I'm, I'm going to have the scriptures on the, on the screen, but if you, are a, if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, buckle up. We're going to kind of be bouncing around a little bit. Typically, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We will resume that verse by verse, chapter by chapter Bible study in January uh, in Romans. And so we're jumping right into the deep end in Romans uh, uh, in, in January. But um, for the next two Sundays as well, Pastor Eric will be giving Christmas-themed messages along with our, our Christmas Eve service message. And then, uh, of course, a New Year's message as well. So we're excited for uh, what's cu- coming up in this month, um, really focusing on the birth of Christ. So um, so this time of year, obviously, it is, it's, it's Christmas season, and, and the best of your ability, given with all the, the current uh, craziness going on in the world, you know, you start to build your shopping list, you start to build your Christmas lists, and, and typically the people that are closest to you, uh, you start to um, think about what you want to get them. You spend the most time contemplating what you can buy them for Christmas. You maybe get, you know, a list of three or four or five things that you can get them. You, you hear what maybe they're interested in throughout the year. You kind of make mental notes notes, you maybe ask a, another family member or friend what they might would like to have or something that they wouldn't necessarily buy for themselves. And so you, you kind of contemplate and, and, and compile these ideas. And, and some people are just great gift givers. It, it's innate. It's, it's part of their DNA. Uh, they know exactly what to get. They're creative. Um, they, they will get something that you didn't even think you wanted, and it's a, just a perfect match. Um, they love going out and shopping. They don't mind the hustle and bustle and the parking and, and all the craziness of the malls during this time of year. They just love being out there and, and really are uh, are innate natural gift givers. And then people like me who struggle giving gifts. I'm not very creative in this way. I lack the creativity of what could I get this person? And I, I go to a mall and I just, I have no idea what store to go into first. I go into the store. I don't know what aisle to go into. And I, I, I don't really like a lot of the people, uh, not people in general, but you know what I mean? Like just the crowds. And, and again, the, 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 the hustle and bustle of, of, of what goes into Christmas shopping and let alone the parking. And then sometimes you, you can get even inhibited with what's the financial impact going to be, right, this month? Can we afford Christmas? Can we afford all of these gifts? And what's it going to be like to, to get all of these gifts for everybody? And if somebody gets me this, do I, does that mean I have to reciprocate and get them a gift? And so you can kind of get paralyzed in that sense. And so some people are great gift givers and other people struggle, like myself. And some people are, are, are really good gift receivers. Um, just today, I, we got really detailed lists from my kids. Uh, they have the link where you can click on and, and get to that gift. It's the Amazon link. It's a, it's a screenshot to make sure you know what exactly what they want. Um, and that list was compiled in October. So it's been, it's, it's the true October surprise. So it's fully laid out, sorted top to bottom, least to greatest, and, and it's very organized. And then Again, other people have difficult times receiving gifts, um, feel a little bit guilty, don't want to put other people out and, and feel like, uh, you know, receiving gifts is something that it makes them uncomfortable. And, you know, just a, a couple, about 45 minutes ago, I was so touched, a family that, that is so near and dear to our heart gave me, uh, excuse me, gave me a gift. It made me feel so special. And it was very personalized and it was just the sweetest, sweetest thing. And um, I'm not a good gift receiver, but I can tell you, it made me feel so special and um, 
there's really no way to uh, try to reciprocate or, 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 or really communicate how much that, that touches you. And so um, being a, a gift receiver is also important, being able to receive the gift. Pastor Eric touched on it last week. If, if a gift is just left under a tree and it's not received, then it's not truly a gift. It's just a box wrapped up with whatever's inside. So it, it really is important to be able to receive and, and receive that gift. And so I was thinking about what is the characteristic of, of a really good gift? What's a ge- characteristic of, of a perfect gift? And one of those things is, is the practical gift, meaning does it take something off your plate, something that's addition by subtraction? And I know that sounds a little nonsensical, but think about it. If something is on your plate and it's able to be taken off and you don't necessarily have to do anything for that, that's a great gift. So, you know, you have a bunch of things around the house that need fixing and somebody gives you the gift of a handyman to come through and just take care of all those odds and ends that you haven't been able to get to, that, but they've just been in the back of your mind and, and really gnawing at you. Um, maybe a chiropractor visit, you know, to, to align that back or to get you going right or a landscaper or a cleaning crew or something like that. Just takes things off your plate. It's a practical gift. But one quick warning here, it could backfire on you because, you know, you might try to do that and you give something like a body waxing or teeth whitening. You know, those are things where you're kind of communicating the wrong thing. You know, got a little too much body hair, the teeth are a little yellow. So it might be given with good intentions but could have a poor outcome. So just a little warning with the practical gift. And is another uh, idea of a, of a good gift was, does it create any undesired burden or un, uh, some things that all of a sudden now I have to do? Like... You know, you get somebody a puppy. That's a great thing. But now you just sign them up for 12 to 15 years of taking the dog out and getting the vet, the, the vet bills and the food and, and picking up the dog poop in the backyard. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a commitment, right? And now all of a sudden there's more of a burden on their plate than what they had started with. And so those, that undesired burden, sometimes gifts can have that impact. The gifts that, um, sometimes we get a gift for that wow factor, that perfect gift that will just, you can't wait to see their face when they open up that gift. And we try to get very creative, and, and sometimes we, we go that extra mile. They wanted the $40 hoodie, we got them the $300 leather jacket. Or, you know, the, instead of the $40 orchid, they got the $250 uh, flower arrangement that just, it's just exploding in color, and you can just see their face. And, and so that, that wow factor also can come in the way that it's wrapped up, right? The uh, really ornate bows and, and decorative wrapping paper and all the, the fancy stuff that can just make that, that present really attractive. And so that, that wow factor can also make your, your gift something special. Um, what do you get the, for the person that says, I don't need anything, I have everything? They have the resources to get anything they want, uh, anytime they want. And really, if you were to get them something, it might even be out of your price range. And so you kind of struggle with, what can I get that person? Somebody has everything. And, and they have the resources to get the things that they might not already have. And so that's, that's really a head scratcher at times and can be difficult. And so um, a good gift giver knows how to navigate that situation. Um, does your gift have sentimentality? Is there sentimental value? Meaning, can you attach something beyond just the material value of the item? Does it have more meaning to it because it's attached to an experience or maybe it has some engraved initials or something like that? So sentimentality is also a big key to a perfect gift. And did you give your best? You know, if I'm going to get something as small as maybe get my wife a nice pair of nail clippers. I'm going to get her the best nail clippers there are, right? The sharpest ones, not the cheap Rite Aid brand, but the really good ones. I'm going to go online and, and really not spare any expense. I'm going to get her the best, right? Um, and obviously that's not going to be uh, maybe a stocking stuffer. But, uh, but again, giving the best, not giving kind of the, the, the second rate or the off brand, but really giving good quality gifts. Did you give the best? So 
I know that's a long way of opening up, but our Father in heaven is the ultimate gift giver. From before the foundation of the world, God had the most thoughtful, generous, expensive, creative, sentimental, and perfectly designed gift that keeps on giving for each one of us, for his people, his children, his creation. And through this gift of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, we receive eternal salvation, but we receive so much more. So that's what brings us to our first scripture up there. And kind of the, the scripture that really grabbed me as I was studying for tonight. It said, this, Luke 2.12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God sent his only begotten son, not in some fancy package. He sent him as an infant wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so as we think about the criteria of what a good gift giver is, and we, we contemplate this baby lying in a manger on that, that fateful day, was God's gift practical? So you start to look at, well, let's see if God's gift was practical, meaning did God's gift take something off of our plate? Oh, it's not working. It's not working. I'll try to advance the slide. It wasn't working earlier, and for some reason it's not working. Oh, whoa, okay. There we go. So 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, Think about that. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation just means full satisfaction, full payment. Imagine being under a, man, a, a, a mountain of financial debt, right? You have your mortgage. You might have credit card debt, student loans. You might have a business loan out. You might have a personal loan from a family member. And, and, weight, and that weight of that, that debt is crushing. It's weighty. It's always there. It can be suffocating and actually paralyzing. And you have a plan to clear all of this debt, but it's going to take that, you're going to have to execute that plan perfectly and nothing can go wrong. And unfortunately, you can, you know, be able to clear your financial debt, but we accrue or amass a different type of debt. We amass spiritual debt. And because we sin and fall short of God's laws, because we have fallen so short, we amass this debt Sin after sin, we fall short time and time again, and all of a sudden, this burden, this financial mountain, or excuse me, this spiritual mountain of debt starts to build up, and we can't fulfill God's laws, and we can't do enough good works to outweigh the bad, because that's not even the economy of God. So addition by subtraction, we receive Christ, and by receiving God's perfect gift in Christ, he takes away, he subtracts our sin, he takes it away and the spiritual debt is now removed. And by those sins being removed, because the wages of sin is death, right? So he had to die that death for us. He's the full payment. The full, full measure of that payment was found in him. And then he adds to us, addition by subtraction. But then we also, on the back end of that, get his righteousness and his peace and joy and love and, and get to bask in his truth. And so addition by subtraction, God's love for us through his son was so practical. The gift was so practical because it takes away our sin. There was no other way. There's no other way for us to atone for our, our own sins. We don't have the currency that in God's economy for that to occur. We might be able to get out of financial debt. We can never get out of our spiritual debt unless we received the gift of Jesus Christ, that baby in a manger. Did God's gift create any undue or undesired burden? 
Well, we'd have to go to Matthew Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Father fully recognized the burdens of the old covenant and the law. He also recognized that the Pharisees and religious leaders had heaped exponential uh, burdens upon the people with their man-made laws, with the extras that they were also putting on the people. And again, that was crushing. They were always reminded of how they fell short and how they were uh, never going to be good enough to to follow these laws and to be uh, justified fully. Jesus' offer in Matthew 11 is not to create extra work for us, It's not to create or add extra weight, and it's not more things to do or more duties to fulfill. There's no more extra obligations. Jesus' offer, though, is not to remove all the constraints either. Notice he says, take my yoke upon you. So he's not removing all constraint, but he's adding something to you. And why? So that we will learn from him. In verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's giving us the yoke of discipleship. He gives us the yoke of discipleship. We now take off the yoke, the burden of all the laws and all of the self-righteousness. We can set that aside. We take on the yoke of discipleship and now we can just sit at his feet and learn from him. Paul said in Galatians that the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law was put in place to demonstrate to us that we needed a savior, that we couldn't do it ourselves. And so this, again, the constraints of the law just choked the life out of us, our spiritual life. And so we never measure up and we're always falling short. But now with the yoke of discipleship, we learn that our, our Savior has, has, has paid that price for us. And now we are in right standing with him. And, and now we get to learn from him day by day as we press in, as we abide in Christ. Second, to know his gentle and hum- that he's gentle and humble in heart. As, as we learn from Jesus, we get to just see how humble and how gentle he is. He didn't come in royal attire, seated on a, on a throne, He didn't come as a commander of a legion of angels. He came as a commoner to be crucified on the cross. Everybody can relate to that. He's gentle and he's humble of heart. And third, we find rest for our souls. There is no undue, undesired burden when we come to Christ. We actually find rest. We get to relax. We get to exhale because we don't have to worry about sinning too much Yes, we're going to blow it from time to time. His grace is sufficient. We can rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. The result is rest for our soul. And not that, not only in the world to come, not only eternal rest, but we get temporal rest. We get to come in here and we get to set all the world aside and we get to, again, just commune as believers and we get to bask in his, his spirit and rest. He says that, that term, my yoke is easy, it means it's a good, comfortable fit, meaning Whenever you've gotten a, a gift for somebody, maybe a pair of shoes or a pair of pants or a jacket, you want that gift to fit, right? You want it to be comfortable on that person and you want it to be a good fit. You don't want to have to take it back and get a different size or, or a different gift altogether. Jesus' yoke is easy, meaning it is a good, comfortable fit for us. It's a perfect fit. And his burden is light. It's just, it's easy to be kept. It's simplistic. He doesn't make things difficult. He doesn't make it complicated. We are the ones that make it complicated. We are the ones that, for some reason, want to put more laws on ourselves, more restrictions, more legalities. Jesus, it's simple. It's just a love relationship with him. His burden is light. So the Father's gift to us in Jesus, again, does not add any undue burden, doesn't obligate us to complete any undesired tasks or make any crazy commitments. It's just a love relationship. 
Moving on, did God's gift elicit the wow factor? Did his gift just make us go, wow? So you can imagine when um, the shepherds were out in the field tending their flocks, and shepherds were common men. They were not the social elite by any means. In Luke 2, the shepherds, it says in the same region, verse 8, in the shepherds, excuse me, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Imagine that. That's a wow factor. All of a sudden, you have an angel standing before you. The glory of the Lord now is lighting up the entire countryside. And now this angel begins to speak to you. Imagine the awe. They were terribly frightened. They probably fell face flat and and had paralyzed, not knowing what was going on. And then... To add to the wow factor, verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And I love that word, all. It's for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The man that they've been waiting for their whole entire lives, the the person that had been explained in all the scriptures up until now, is coming and and it's here now. That's the wow factor. It's the best news possible. In the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What an amazing revelation at that particular point. And then verses 12 through 13. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then here's the final wow factor. And suddenly there appeared with the the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. The sky completely lit up. The heavenly host couldn't contain their joy. Once this news was out, the light of the world had come to the earth that the whole entire sky lit up with the heavenly host. They couldn't, like spiritual fireflies. You can just imagine them lighting up the sky. The wow factor. Just like opening up an amazing gift that you had no idea you were getting, but it just completely blessed you. The wow factor. Jesus is coming. God's perfect gift was, was wrapped in humility. Notice in verse 12, is wrapped in that, those cloths. We're going to learn in, in, a little bit later on that God, the Lord, is, is wrapped. He wraps himself in light as with a garment, Psalm 104 2. We're going to touch on that a little bit later, but he chose to come to this earth wrapped in, in cloths. That to me is, I realize that's not, he wasn't wrapped in royal robes, but that is a wow factor to me that God chose to send his son in that condition. So what did God do for the person? What does God do for the person that says, I got everything, I have everything, I don't need anything, don't get me anything, I have it covered. How can God minister, how does God's gift apply to that type of a person? And so it takes me back to uh, the rich young ruler when Jesus had that interaction with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. The rich young ruler asked what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he says, well, which ones do I keep? And Jesus essentially told him to keep all the horizontal kind of man-to-man commandments. And thou shalt not commit murder, commit adultery, steal, uh, bear false witness, you know, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, I've kept all those. You know, I've been a good guy. I've, I haven't killed anybody, and, and I haven't stolen anything, and I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm a good guy. And then Jesus saw the emptiness in this man because the next thing he said is, 
If you wish to be complete, this man was incomplete and he didn't know it. If you wish to be complete, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving for he knew, excuse me, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus then said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So when a person's possessions possess them, they're completely empty. They can amass wealth. They can have a, a high net worth. And they can attain that through their word, worldly pursuits, and the effort of their intellect, and maybe their great education, and, and their, their business contacts, and their ability to make a great deal. And they can be very savvy in business. And their material wealth might be greater than a lot of, a lot of people. They might own a lot of land, great in real estate, but they're truly empty in God's economy because as soon as that as soon as that passes away, as soon as they pass away, those things obviously are not going with them. Or they can go bankrupt very quickly. Those, that property can get foreclosed upon. That bank account can dry up because there's a bad day in the stock market. The earthly wealth can be stolen. It can be seized. It can, it can vanish. This man was truly empty because you could see he was possessed by his possessions. He put his faith and trust in his possessions, in his bank account, so to speak. Because when Jesus told him, he pinpointed him, he found the weak spot of this man because he was incomplete. And he said, if you can sell your possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow me, you will have treasure in heaven. You will have something you don't have now. And so all of us in here, even though we don't have maybe the bank account this man has or the bank account that we would like or the portfolio we would like with stocks and bonds and those types of things, that's okay. You're laying up treasures in heaven and those treasures aren't going anywhere. And when you, and, and, and the thing about treasures in heaven is the deferred gratification. You can enjoy your earthly treasures now. It, it's immediate and you can enjoy them now, but our treasure in heaven is deferred and it will be enjoyed for a lifetime. These, these treasures are enjoyed now and they're enjoyed temporally. And so the gratification of earthly wealth is just, is passing, but the treasures that we lay up in heaven are eternal. So a person could be material wealthy and enjoying worldly prosperity, but not have the abundant life and, and they might not have eternal life. Now, I'm not saying that rich people can't go to heaven, but in Jesus' words, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they have to be able to divide and, and, and not, uh, not have their affections divided to their, their wealth and to God. And so it's very, very important for those who do amass wealth to make sure that their affections are set on Christ. So how does God get to that type of a person? He has wealth and, and treasures that you can't earn here. No matter how savvy you are in business, no, no matter how rich you are, no matter if you're Jeff Bezos and have multiple billions of dollars, if you don't have treasures in heaven, you're spiritually bankrupt. Does, does God give sentimental value? Did, did he add sentimental value to his gift? And again, to add sentimental value to a gift, it means you personalize the gift in some way. You, can, you add an emotional attachment. Maybe you, that gift is attached to a significant event that uh, happened in that person's life. So thinking of like a graduation, maybe you take certain articles of that person's graduation, the tassel from their cap and gown, and maybe some confetti and the, the bulletin, and you create a little collage. And that gift has now sentimental value because it memorializes that, that wonderful event. Or maybe you engrave initials or the name of, of that person. So again, it adds value to the material wealth of that gift. And so when you look at Isaiah 49, 16, this blows me away. God definitely added sentimental value to his gift, 
Behold, I have inscribed or engraved you on the palm of, palms of my hands. God's perfect gift, his infant son, would eventually be pierced through for our transgressions. Our very transgressions that caused the holes in Jesus' hands was his engraving our names on his hands. God's perfect gift to this world is engraved. It's engraved with our names, but it's also engraved by our transgressions. That's how much God loves us. That's how he added sentimental value to Christ. Thomas, no pun intended, had a firsthand account of this with Jesus. Actually, it was a pun intended. John verse 20, 27 and 28 Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas was at that point, right, doubting. He he wasn't quite sure. Well, he was sure, he wasn't quite sure what had happened. And and Jesus said, reach your finger into my, into the inscription of, of my palms, really. Your name is engraved right here. I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. And you could feel Thomas's response. Remember, sentimental, uh, the sentimental value adds emotion to a gift. And look at Thomas's reaction. You could see him almost bow down. You could feel the deep emotion and maybe some of the regret and some of the sorrow that he felt for even questioning Jesus. My Lord and my God, he fell down in complete submission, obedience, and worship. God's gift to this world has sentimental value. He inscribes us on the palms of his hands. Did God give us his best? Well, we'd have to turn to Hebrews 1.3. And he is the radiance, Hebrews 1.3 says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory in the exact exact representation of his nature. Although this gift was wrapped in cloths and, you know, swaddling cloths, It was, Jesus was to be the radiance of his glory. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say like the radiance of his glory. He is the radiance of his glory. The term radiance can be defined by a shining forth because of the brightness within. Jesus is outshining, Jesus is the outshining, excuse me, of the brightness of God's glory. So Jesus is to, we're going to do a little SAT comparison. Jesus is to the Father as the bright bright rays of the sun is to the sun. You can't separate sunlight from the sun. So Jesus is the outshining of the glory of the Father. And so as we look upon Jesus, we look upon the glory of God, which is God's presence and his majesty. We look upon him as he really is. And he's the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Paul said in Colossians 2, 9, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The full amount, the fullness of God is, uh, excuse me, the, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ. So what's the converse or the opposite of giving the best quality gift? That would be probably to give maybe a lesser known uh, brand, uh, lower quality maybe a generic version or kind of a cheap knockoff, if you will. And Jesus warned us about that. He warned about rejecting the true gift from the Father and receiving men who projected the image of the Messiah, purported to be God's son, and were even not even, uh, but were not even a lesser grade. We can't even really compare, but they were a complete imitation and knockoff. In John 5.43, 
He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another man comes in his own name, you will receive him. And it's so difficult to think now that we have received the Lord in our lives and we understand the gift that God has given us in Christ that somebody can make this such a foolish mistake. How can a person receive a copycat? How can a person receive that knockoff or that imitation, the, the, the complete ripoff of God's intellectual property? There's so much uh, counterfeit Christianity out there. And so I started thinking about as an earthly father, if my children, who gave me a very complete list today, in fact, didn't we just get it today? Yeah, both of them sent us a very complete list. And, and let's just say that the brand new iPhone was on that list. And so iPhones, what are they? $800, $900, right? The brand new ones, and, and, and they have all the bells and whistles. And so let's just say I did a little uh, research and so I can't read it from my end, but the top 12 iPhone X clones from China, similar design, but way cheaper. And so you start looking at these different ones, and I know it's small, but you got the Blue Boo X and the Liego S9 and the Little Pepper S11, and my favorite, the Goofoon, the Goofone 10. So let's say we decide, because we can't really afford the good stuff, we can't afford the best, we're going to get them the Goofone 10. And we wrap that thing up and... My daughter's anticipating this brand new iPhone and she opens up a Goofoon 10. There's going to be disappointment. This is a knockoff. This is an imitation. Dad, where'd you get this thing from? I don't even recognize the brand on this thing. Does it even connect to the network? Does it even get Wi-Fi? What are we doing here? Um, babe, it was only 110 bucks. It was one-tenth the cost and it does a lot of the same things. I'm sure, you know but you get what you pay for, right? God did not give us a counterfeit. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we have to be careful because like these knockoff iPhones, Satan is the master counterfeiter. He's disguised as an angel of light. He has workers who conceal their true identity and their true character and they're disguised as false teachers and preach a false gospel uh, proclaim a false Jesus and preaching false righteousness. And so may that never be in this place. We want to give you the truth and, 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 and give you Jesus, the real Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible. And so Jesus, our God the Father, through his gift and, and through Christ, that, that baby, he gave us the very best. He didn't give us a knockoff. He didn't give us a variation. He gave us the exact representation. So as, as we kind of wrap it up, as a parent who's about to give gifts to your, your, your children, you might start to give hints, clues as to what they might get, um, where they can maybe expect to find it on Christmas morning, and, and just create some anticipation, and, and maybe not give the whole uh, gift away, of course, but you're just dropping subtle hints and, and, and creating that anticipation and that stir for them to want to wanna open those gifts on Christmas morning. But you also want to make it unmistakable that the gift is from you and it was the gift that they were waiting for. And so God has done this through the gift of prophecy. And so when we talk about God giving, dropping some hints for us, we have to look to some of the Old Testament prophets and we'll just cover a couple really quick. We have some time here. God told us when we could expect Jesus. In Daniel 9.25, the angel Gabriel said, same angel that 
spoke to Mary, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, this is a complete study in and of itself, right? So we don't have time to get into it now, but let's just, for the sake of time, this issuance of this decree was in 445 B.C., the number of years in the, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks was 483 years. And if you do the math, that would put it at about A.D. 29 or 30, the exact time Jesus was engaging in his ministry. God told us when we could expect the Christ to be on this earth and, and when he was to be uh, involved in, 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 in the affairs of man. So right away, that narrows down, right? If... if if the person who's claiming to be the Messiah is not on the earth at that time, they're, they're a counterfeit. They're a copycat. God gave us a clue of, of some, other, some other circumstances regarding his perfect gift, Jesus. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And another clue in Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. So we're given indications that he's going to come as an infant. He's going to come as a child. He will be born of a virgin. Again, another signature characteristic of the coming Messiah. Again, check the box for Jesus. So now not only do we have the time frame, we have the circumstances. And these are just a couple. And then fine, not finally tonight, but God told us where his son would come from. In Micah 5, 2, oops, We'll go one more. Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Here's the kicker. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So we know now he is to be born in Bethlehem. So now we have the location from where he's to be born. And these are just a couple prophecies. And, and just the mathematical probability of these being fulfilled in the life of Jesus uh, make the, the evidence overwhelming that the gift from our Father is indeed Christ. And all of those other added, uh, added um, prophecies that only solidify the evidence even further. So like an earthly father hinting to his sons or daughters that what gift, what the gift might look like, where it was coming from, uh, what it might, what characteristics it might have, our heavenly father as the perfect gift giver made sure to authenticate his gift through prophecy, through the sure word of his foretold prophecy through his prophets. So God's gift by way of his son Jesus was humble enough that the lowliest, uh, those of uh, the lowliest of humanity could identify Anybody can identify with a baby lying in a manger, the lowliest of humanity. He, possess, he possesses such great riches that even the, the, those that are the richest in the world, the most affluent in the world, if they were to truly be uh, real, and they, get, and they start reading Ephesians 1, they will see that every spiritual blessing is in Christ. And so he, even the most affluent would have to admit that they pale in comparison to the riches of Christ. Um, God's gift by way of, of Jesus did not in, add any extra duties, obligations, but it actually removed burdens. It actually makes our life so much sweeter. I know life isn't easy, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. God's gift has sentimental value. He inscribed us on the hands of, of, of his son through our transgressions, through the very stakes that were driven through his hands on the cross, those were the engraving marks of us on him. And God gave us his absolute best. There was no knockoffs. There was no clones. There was no counterfeit copycats. 
he gave us himself in the form of an infant wrapped up in cloths. When Jesus was born as a gift of salvation, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. When he died for the sins of the world, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of the Lord and wrapped him in cloths, in linen cloths, and laid him in a tomb cut into a rock. So while he was on this earth, he was born into humility and he died in humility. But there will be a day when we see the Lord as he is. Because as I said in Psalm 104.2, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. He wraps himself in light, no longer in a swaddling cloth, no longer in a linen cloth. He's going to wrap himself in light with a garment. He's going to light up the entire uh, earth. We will no longer need a sun. Oops, sorry, went too far. There we go. Come on, there we go. Habakkuk 3, 4 says, His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hands. We're going to see what the prophet meant by that. We're going to see him. His radiance is like the sunlight. His rays are flashing from his hand. And then James 1:17 just wraps it up so beautifully. Every good thing and every perfect gift, so apropos for this time of season, is from above, coming down from the Father of what? Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. So he's going to wrap himself in light like a garment. His radiance is like the sunlight. He will have rays flashing from his hands. And he is the good and perfect gift from the Father of lights. There is no shifting. There is no variation. Jesus was indeed the perfect gift from above. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, overwhelmed of your generosity. We're overwhelmed by how much you truly do love us by sending your Son. And Lord, at times we, we can skip right over that. We can lose sight of it during the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. The Christmas season can get very commercial. It can get very superficial. We start to put focus on decorations, holiday parties, get-togethers, traveling, the stress of making sure that the, 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 the Christmas lights are up. And Lord, those things are, are great, and they put us in a great spirit and a great mood. And the food is delicious, and, and the, the fellowship is sweet. But Lord, we need to remember the gift that was given to us and truly why this season even exists. So Lord, may we truly focus, put the affections of our heart on you during this Christmas season, not get carried away by anything that would water down or even pollute the coming of, of our Savior. And so Lord, now as we get into a time of worship, May you truly impress upon our hearts the meaning of Christmas, the birth of your son. And Lord, may this be the catalyst, even amongst all the uncertainty, all the, the political strife, all the things that this world it seems to be coming apart at the seams. Lord, we know one thing is sure, and that is our salvation in you. And may we focus on the true meaning of Christmas this year.